Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. Hey, and I'm Pastor Chad, <laughs> the one with the voice. Yeah, I'm still I'm still fighting some non-COVID, non-flu nastiness. <clears throat> hey, we are literally sitting across the sanctuary from each other because I ain't getting close to that hot mess. Yeah, yeah. Past- Pastor Marianne over at uh, Living Faith up in Tradition also has this loveliness. She caught it before I did. And she beep, beep, think, here comes the bus. Yeah. Throw Marianne in front of it. I'm going to. <laughs> totally going to throw her under the bus. And fairly certain she gave it to me since we spent a couple of hours in the car together uh, driving to and from the conference on ministry. <laughs> so that's, that, that's, that's who I'm blaming for this. So <clears throat> anyway, um... So David and Bathsheba, that, that was the text. That's always our favorite text to have to preach because there's so much good news in that. And there's, I mean, it's such a happy, honestly, like, wonderful story. I mean, David enjoyed part of the story. Oh, I'm sure David did. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, it's one of those texts that, only the narrative lectionary. I don't think it's in the Revised Common. I don't think so. It might be part of when they do like an alternative Old Testament that no one ever does or reads. Yeah, because no one would read this story. Um, no one would read this story as part of worship and then choose to preach on it. But the narrative lectionary says, bam, every four years, here it is, deal with it. Yeah. Which, quite frankly... We need to. Is, is a, isn't a bad thing. Like, like, we as society like to push things off to the side and not deal with them. Well, you know, and I, It's and easy I, to say, oh, well, we don't have a homelessness problem. Well, you don't have a homelessness problem because you outlawed being homeless, so they're in hiding or in jail or whatever. Oh, we don't have a... Here's a good one. Here is a Palm City relevant. We don't have a racism problem in Palm City. (laughs) Whoops. Darn you, Hidden Oaks Middle School kids. Um, I I mean, like, it's easy to just say, you know what? I know this story's in the Bible, but let's just not talk about it and pretend it's not there. Nobody will ever notice. But, I mean, from one standpoint, I am glad we talk about it because it allows us to shed some light on the way this narrative has very often been read and understood by people. Um, Bathsheba, for a very long time, has been called a seductress. And a large part of the blame has been laid on her. And the text does not warrant that. It it just doesn't. It it does not warrant... um, Bathsheba being at fault in any way, shape, or form. Even Nathan, like, calls her, you know, basically when he's doing the story, refers to her as an innocent lamb. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, a, be- a beloved lamb that, that uh, is, is taken from, you know, the guy who, uh, the farmer, whoever it is that's in the parable <clears throat> that he uses. So... The blame, Nathan puts the blame squarely on David. And it's only our desire or whatever. 
to make it partly the woman's fault. I mean, yeah, why was she out there doing it? But, you know, having a, taken a bath and, and all that stuff anyway where anybody could see her, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's because baths were public back then, <clears throat> first of all. Um, you didn't usually have indoor baths. Uh, and second, it was a ritual purity uh, thing. So she was actually doing what she was supposed to. Yep. She was doing it later in the afternoon, um, you know, when after the afternoon siesta, uh, and was probably assuming and hoping that she had some bit of privacy. But when you're the king standing on the roof of your house, um, looking over everybody, you get to see everything, literally. Well, let, let's, let's take it back a step. <clears throat> okay. Because in explaining all of those things, right, like, she did this, she did this, she did this, she did this. It, frankly, I'm going to be blunt, it doesn't make a difference. Like, it doesn't matter if she did everything wrong. Right. He's David's still the king, actions, he's still in power. Yeah, David's actions were yep. inappropriate. That was, that was where um, I was, was getting to, was, yep. and he was the king, and you don't say no to the king. Right. Period. But, I mean, th that's... Unfortunately, like our culture has set up this this dynamic um, this dynamic around sex. We just have, and I am I am the father of two of a son and two daughters. What scares me is having two daughters who will go to middle school, who will go to high school, God willing will go to middle school, God willing will go to high school, and God willing will go to college or where, where, you know, wherever, wherever their, their path leads them. They are at some point going to encounter partners. As much as I don't want to admit this, at some point my daughters are more than likely going to be sexually active. God, that is a sobering thought or maybe one that makes me want to drink. Um, and quite frankly, that scares me. Luckily, you got some Crown Royale, so, you know, you're, you're I got set. lots of stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> supply will not be an issue. Demand might be an issue, but supply will not be an issue. But, but it, it scares me because we often raise our boys our males in this culture to, to sort of take what they want. And then, as if that's not bad enough, you turn it and then blame the woman. Oh, well, she shouldn't have been dressed like that. Well, she shouldn't have been bathing on the roof like that. Well, she shouldn't have she had that. She was not on the roof, by the way. Only David was on the roof. Oh, just, that's, that's true. To, right, correct, correct. Just Sorry, point correct, of, correct. Yes. Um, she shouldn't have been bathing like that. She shouldn't have been bathing during the day. She shouldn't have been doing this. She shouldn't have had that much to drink. She shouldn't have gone to that party. She shouldn't have gone down that street. Well, I'm going to be really honest. Like, if we raise our boys to not rape women, like, we don't have to worry about those things happening based on what someone wears because it doesn't matter what someone wears or where they are. It's not appropriate. 
Like, and it's just like, the, I think that's the frustrating piece of this story. And I, I, you preached it this time. I preached it four years ago. And it, so it's one of those, um, one of those stories, Emmanuel stories that lives in infamy where, you know, I, I, was, I think I was much more blunt with the sexual assault part of it. Um, and I, I remember explicitly saying, she did not ask for it. And I, and I made that statement multiple times throughout the sermon. Yes, and you were very, very clear, I remember. I was abundantly clear. You were very clear. Only to find out two days, no, a day later, in a meeting, there was a discussion about whether or not Bathsheba essentially asked for it. And like, oh my God, like, this per- these people were in worship. Everything was explained. Everything was, it was a ritual. She was doing what she was supposed to do. She wasn't, you know, running around naked in the city. And even if she was, if someone's running around naked in the city, that's still not licensed to impregnate them. Like, that, beyond that. And, and from, that, from that sermon, a conversation came. Did she ask for it? It's like, oh, like, seriously, like, can we not get our stuff together that, and just like kind of wipe that narrative? I mean, apparently the answer is no. I, I don't, I don't right. understand. I mean, and I think one of the things people don't understand is how power dynamics like that work, to be yeah. honest. I mean, uh, let's bring it to more modern times. We all remember Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Yep. And one of the things is, well, they're two consenting adults. And my, my contention is she's an intern. That is a very, very, very different power structure. Yeah, when it's your boss... When it's your boss, and well, when it's the, the most powerful man in the world. Oh, right? yeah, that too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, the president of the United States, yeah. and you're an intern, yeah. and he decides he wants something to happen. Yeah. You know, what do you do? Blame Hillary. <laughs> and, and even if you are into it, and it's what you want to have happen, there's still a power dynamic at play. That's being abused. Agreed. And, and this is one of the reasons. People don't understand this about, about pastors, especially pastors like me who are single, why we do not date people in our congregations. Yep. And I've got a lot of people who they don't understand it. They don't, they don't see the problem. And I'm like, no, it's a problem. There's a power differential. And, and, and it, it opens itself up to abuse. Well, and and I'm the one who can abuse somebody. And the, and the problem, the problem becomes because the, the, I've heard it, the, the pushback being, "Well, your wife's a member of the congregation. But you're like, married now. What? You're you're married now. I mean, that's correct. Different. So, but it's like, well, she's a member of the congregation. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't meet her. Right. As, and, and again, that that's where it gets tricky. Like, if you were to date someone in the congregation and, and, and marry, that's fine. But the chance of that, the problem is dating relationships. What happens rela- if we break up? Correct. Dating relationships don't equal marriage. No. A lot. 
Um, and a lot of bad things can go down. Correct. And then how does that filter down and, and affect, you know, the con well, and, 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 and in all honesty, both sides. Right. Both sides. Well, and, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where pretty much if, if, the, if you meet somebody and you really want to date them and you're a pastor and they're a member in your congregation, either they need to go to a different congregation if you're going to date or you need to stop being the pastor of that church. Yeah. I mean, those are the decisions you have to make yeah. and decide if it's worth, you know, if, if you really think it's worth that yeah. um, to pursue. And I, I luckily have not really been faced with that. There, there hasn't been anyone I've been like, oh my gosh, I really wish I could date this person. So I've not faced that issue, thankfully. <laughs> have not been put in that position. Um, but it could happen, you know, and, and it's one of those, those are the boundaries. Those are the things that we have to grapple with. And when you are in a position of leadership, a position of some sort of power, um, you have to be mindful of what that power, how, how you manipulate people with that power. And David was kind of powerful. He was a little powerful. And yeah. he was a little bit manipulative, too, let's just be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, and, and this, is, this is an example of digging your hole deeper. <laughs> oh, I slept with Bathsheba. Oh, I got her pregnant. Oh, I killed her husband. Oh, <laughs> like it just keeps getting. Well, and it's deeper. that whole, you know, thinking that you can, when you're, you're, you're a leader like that, you need to keep your private life private. It's like, oh, oh, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when you live in the public eye, as much as you try to keep things private, the reality is what you do in private has the chance of leaking into the public. And our lives as, um, in, in general, our lives as people of faith are public lives. And so what we do in private does matter. And because that does spill out. Um, yep. <clears throat> and, you know, if you're, you're doing one thing in public and then you're doing something else in private that you just don't want anybody to, you know, know about because it would not be good, then you've got a problem. Yep. Because there's a good chance someone's going to find out and it's going to come out. Yep. And... So there's that, that accountability factor, especially for leaders, of, well, are you doing in your private life what you're doing in your public life? Um, and, and the consistency there. And, and Nathan, you know, I, I, I give a lot of credit to Nathan. It takes a lot of courage to confront a king. Prophet is not for the weak of heart. no. To, I mean, I love how he does it. You know, he comes and he tells a little story and lets David basically condemn himself. Yeah. And then he's like, well, guess what? Guess who you are yep. in this story? And oh. And like I said, I think one of my biggest problems with this story, I mean, there are a lot of things I have problems with in this story, but, but the... <clears throat> The element that I struggle with the most is, you know, 
why the child has to die. You know, how, how, flat out states God kills that kid. Yep. And I, I have problems with that. You know, I'm like, what? Okay, what the kid do? You know, um, but as a you know punishment. Um, but God forgives David, so David gets to live, but the kid has to die. And, I, and you know, and there's, there's just all these other things. And I, I kind of bring it out in, in, brought it out in my sermon that, you know, uh, there's all these, these domino effects of things that go wrong. Well, look at, look at your, your, your mentioned Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. You know, the person, the person with the wealth, the person with, they're okay. Right. Okay. person with power winds up being okay. Yeah, David's okay. Clinton's okay. He did, he did okay for himself. I mean, that, that's nine times out of ten. You have the resources to be okay. If you, the vulnerable, our system in this situation, or, or, or any, the vulnerable, the system's set up to keep the vulnerable vulnerable. Right. And the powerful powerful. Yep. And, <clears throat> and, that's, and that's the way it's set up been set up for forever, basically. But it's not, it's not the kingdom of God. No, this blueprint. is not what God envisioned. Right. This it's, not is the, not, it's not the kingdom of God blueprint. Again, going back to why God didn't want kings. He, right. he didn't want um, a consolidation of power like that. Well, I, I, I think that is so um, countercultural to us. We can't even, like when we hear that, and I, even for me, you know, Yep, God didn't want kings. I have no concept of what that looks like, having a society without, without a, a leadership, a king structure. Right. Now, not I, to, mean, the, we, I, I, and I understand we don't we, have a king We elect ours instead of it being a bloodline, that kind of stuff. Same but difference. still, you put, you know, and we try to have a balance between different right. you know, things, but still, um, there, there's a ruling class of people. Yep. Um, that are in power and become wealthy as a result of that power and yep. um, usually get powerful. You know, there, there's, there's a couple of, you know, one or two stories of, of the, the people who are coming, the grassroots coming from nowhere. Um, but man, once they hit Washington, that money starts coming in. Yep. But most people have to have money in the first place to even, you know, have a chance at being in that kind of a position. Yeah. And I think that that's the, <clears throat> especially in a system in the ancient world where you weren't really electing people. Um, you know, the, the idea was the judges were supposed to be, you know, these kind of God-appointed, raised up when there was trouble. It's like the rest of the time they were kind of this loose association of tribes that, you know, kind of we're supposed to be getting along, working together, doing things together, blah, 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 kind of having councils of elders and that kind of stuff that met um, to, to settle disputes and, and that kind of stuff. And when there, was, when there was trouble, when they would do stupid things and decide they wanted to kind of be like the other nations... And they'd invite those other nations to kind of come in and do stuff, and then they'd take over, and then, oh, wait, we're being oppressed. <coughs> um, then God would raise up a leader that would basically throw off that yoke of oppression and, and 
Um, and, and, and interesting in the book of Judges, we kind of skipped over that whole section. Went from Joshua to David. Yep. And so we skipped that whole scenario. We get judges um, in other years of the lectionary, just not right. this one. Just not this one. But, you know, Judges is that it starts out with some, um, some, some relatively what we would consider good judges where they are fighting other nations. You know, you have Deborah um, being raised up as one of the... Strangely enough, the woman is the really good judge who's also a prophet. Um, and, you know, people are like, oh, well, she did because the men were cowards. I'm like, no, 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 no. She was a judge and a leader of Israel before they came to her and said you know, and was also a prophet before they made her a military leader. So, yes, she stepped into the military role because the men were like, eh, but she was in that leadership. She was kind of in a presidential role at that point anyway. So she kind of took over the military because the guys were like, well, we don't want to do this. <laughs> and she's like, fine, I'll do it then. Yeah. Um, but... You start out with that, and they're fighting other nations. They're fighting the Hittites, and they're fighting the, the Canaanites, and, you know, all these other people. And then um, by the end of Judges, they have fallen into civil war. They're fighting each other, and they nearly destroy um, the tribe of Benjamin. So they've lost that sense of unity as a people and are fighting amongst, amongst themselves. And the judges have become corrupt. That's one of the complaints, that um, Samuel is sort of the last judge. Well, I'm and, glad that doesn't happen today. Yeah. <laughs> well, Samuel's the last judge, and his sons are going to succeed him as judges, and they're corrupt. <clears throat> so the people are like, well, we don't like the fact that there, we have corrupt judges, so give us a king. Because somehow they think in their mind, a king is going to be more just, a king is going to be more um, committed to uh, equity, not be subject to corruption, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't know where they think that this is going to happen, if they've looked ever at any king anywhere ever, um, right. that this is how they're going to rule, but it's what they think, and God's finally like, fine. You guys keep wanting this. You can have it. Now, There's one element I did not touch on in my sermon. And maybe I should have. Uh, the element I did not touch on in my sermon had to do with the covenant God made with David. Mm. Because, you know, we do, we do get Jesus out of David's line. Yep. And because God made a promise there. So it's one of those things where even in the midst of God saying, fine, have it your way, do this thing that I don't want you doing because I know how disastrous it's going to be, he still goes ahead and makes another covenant with the house of David, despite the fact that then David goes and does all these things that really kind of tick God off. Um, he sticks to his, his side of it. He sticks to his covenant. 
he says, all right, you know, yeah, David didn't quite turn out the way I was hoping, um, and his sons aren't going to turn out that way either because they're going to all do exactly what I thought they would. But I made a promise. And I'm going to keep that promise one way or another. And he does through Jesus. And that part I find very comforting from the standpoint of once God makes a promise, he's not going to break it. No matter how much we screw it. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. That doesn't mean life isn't going to be really hard. I mean, look at what Israel has gone through, you know, with their kings and everything else. It's not a fun time. Um, And, you know, before they're taken over by the Babylonians and into exile and the Assyrians and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, eventually come back and then, okay, so Jesus is born and then Jesus is, you know, crucified and... And we get the resurrection story. But um, to remember that no matter how awful we flub it up, when God makes a promise, God's going to stick to the promise. Somehow. Now, he may not fulfill it the way we think he will. And that's always the tricky part that we have, because a lot of people think they know a lot of things about, like, how Jesus is going to return, how things are going to, you know, it's like, you know... God has this way of doing things in a way we just don't anticipate or expect. Yeah. I, I love when people think they have it figured out. Yeah. Oh, God's going to, really? Yes. Are you sure? Because did you see the, the, the flood coming? Uh, did you see the plagues coming? Did, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you see a plague of frogs coming? I'm pretty sure that's not on your radar. It was on God's. Well played, God. How about gnats? Did you see a plague of gnats coming, people? Boils. Boils. That's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bubonic plague or something. I don't know. But, I, I mean, I, I, I love when people... People, we're really good as humanity about making assumptions, I had, I had somebody make the assumption last week um, that because I'm a pastor, um, I am of the belief that we need more Christian schools. I think we need more Christian schools in our community. I say, really? I think we just need more Christian kids to be in public schools. I don't know that if we just isolate ourselves, we make a difference. Yeah. Kind of ended that conversation. <laughs> Surprisingly. Um, yeah. We make all these assumptions about people. I mean, people always make assumptions about pastors uh, yeah. that are interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to swear you're a pastor. <laughs> Good one. Uh. Okay. Well, and, you know, they do. They just, that they're, and to be fair, there are pastors out there that have. Let's, let, let's say that they have fostered that stereotype. Yeah. That's, that's, they've, they've done that. They've, they've fostered that stereotype. The Ned Flanders. Yeah. Okay. And then there's you and me. <laughs> stereotype shattered. Yeah. So the beauty is, I think I've said this before, 
it drives Christina crazy, especially when um, Anna, I think it was anime, was little and she, she swore in front of somebody. Well, it didn't come from the pastor. <laughs> Must have been the wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Christina. Yeah. And honestly, though, whatever she said was more of Christina's vernacular than mine. Um, we have our own, our own you have, special. You have your own. We have our own words. special flavor. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got the assumptions. But so going back to covenants and and God keeping covenants. So we kind of we we were at a conference last week, so we didn't record a podcast yep and you your sermon was about that covenant that god was reiterating that was from mount sinai basically the um okay this was made to one generation and they kind of screwed things up now we're in the promised land and you've got a choice you can live this way or you can live that way. Now, yes. it, you know, you want to follow the other gods. You want to be like Egypt again. You know, that means you're going to have all the same problems you had in Egypt. Or you can do it my way. Yep. And at the time, the people were like, sure, we'll do it your way. Well, by the time we get to David, it's they wanted to go the other way. Did it take that long? No, it didn't. Right. I mean... I mean, I mean, literally... No, it, once you get into Judges, they're immediately... Right. They do evil in the sight of the Lord is right. the uh, refrain. Well, I mean, literally, Moses <clears throat> comes down the mountain. Well, yeah. Goes back up and poof, a golden calf. I, I mean, we don't have... Humanity does not have a very good or long track record of keeping covenants with God. No. Thank God, literally, thank God... God it's does. not the other way around. Yeah. Or we'd be... We'd be all boiled and frogged up. Yeah. And I always find it, though, very interesting. One of the things, you know, God, God promises to keep, you know, his covenant. But he also, there is a part to it that is like, well, if you do do these things, this is what you'll get. And they don't do it, so obviously they don't get it. Uh, you know, it was, they were supposed to have long lives. They're, they're, I, I talked about that when I was doing the uh, Ten Commandments sermon, was they were supposed to have... Um, their enemies weren't supposed to pass through their land anymore. You know, it was supposed to be a time of peace and prosperity and all that kind of stuff. It was like, if you live this way, this is what'll happen. And yep. they didn't live that way. Now, is that God breaking his covenant? No. It's the people didn't live into the way God had set things up, and therefore there were consequences, just like with David. You know, it's... <clears throat> he was not living into the covenant and there are consequences when you break four of the Ten Commandments in one freaking incident. And, and not little commands either, like big ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you want to rank them as, as, as far as uh, uh, severity, I mean, I think murder is, is probably one of the I think we would all, all say murder is probably one of the worst ones on that list of things. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of being murdered. No, yeah. Mur murder's kind of a, uh, a very permanent thing that happens. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, you can you can try to make amends for a lot of the other stuff. You can't undo things, but you can tr you can do things to try to make. You cannot ever make up for taking a life. Yeah. There's there's no way to bring that life back. The only person that can do that is God, and we have that promise that there will be resurrection. So one day, but in the here and now, there's there's no fixing that. Yep. Once once you killed somebody, you can't bring it back. Um, and the reality there is, too, no amount of punishment is going to fix it either. Now, Ta not saying punishment shouldn't happen, right. but I'm saying, you know, our, our idea of an eye for an eye kind of thing. And yeah. <clears throat> recognizing... Another, taking another life doesn't do it. Yeah, taking another life. And, and remembering that that eye for an eye thing was supposed to be a mitigation. Um, it's not a here's what you do because of this. It was a don't do worse than this <laughs> in retaliation. Um, because they were having a problem. I think his name was Lamech back in Genesis, I want to say five-ish somewhere. Um, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, somewhere in there. Who was a descendant of Cain who said when anybody wronged him, um, he would avenge whatever it was 70 times 7. Yep. And Jesus will flip that around to, how many times do you forgive? 70 times, times 7. A big number. A yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, it, it's a symbolic number, you know. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I think we, when, when we're looking at, you know, Things like forgiveness, things like um, punishment, etc. The reality becomes, yes, you need justice. Justice needs to be done. But is justice always doing the same thing back to somebody else? Yeah. And we, we had a good um, book study a couple years ago on the book of forgiving. I hated and that book. What? Hated that book. <laughs> it's convicting. It is convicting. But it was also really good. It was. It was, it was, it was in all seriousness, I hated the book because it was really good and it was really true. Yeah. It, the, so there's a lot of things that I'm... I'm I'm pretty human. Like, I, if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably uncomfortable too. Like, if it convicts you, probably convicted too. Like, like the book of forgiving was one of those books that you read and you're like, oh man. It's hard work. It is hard. You know, say, so a lot of times those things that are, you know, the saying the truth hurts. Like, that, that saying is really, really true. The, the truth hurts. Like, I'll never forget, you know, not too long after I started, um, when Jennifer was here as our youth director, her and, her and my wife did a, um, a book study, I guess, we called it a book study on Becoming Us. It's a book on the Enneagram. And Christina wanted me to participate in this. I'm like, I'm not. Like, I'm not. And she's really smart. So she double scheduled herself one night, pretended it was an accident, and said I had to lead. Um, yeah, clever. And 
in doing that, I, I got my Enneagram score, and I was so mad because it was like, yep, that's me. Crap. What, what's your Enneagram again? I'm a two. Okay. Which is not a shock. Um, I'm a five. I don't know what a five is. Yeah, you do. What's it's a five? The, it's, it's the same as the husband of somebody that was in your gr group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, two, is, two is the caring person who wants to help. and, and yeah. Fives are... Um, are you the doomsday planner? The doomsday, yes. Yeah. The, the, the nihilistic. Um, yeah. That, that's on an extreme, you know. It, right. It's, it's, if you're an extreme, there are positives to it. We're, we're known as the investigator. So yeah. we're, we're curious and we're, you know, trying to dig into things and, and find you, stuff out. If you haven't done the Enneagram since we, I opened that can of worms. There you go. Um, it really is, really is fantastic. Mm. I've woven it into premarital counseling. Th that's how much I believe in it. Like, I've woven it into premarital counseling because it, it really made sense to me. Um, so one of the things for me is I want to feel loved and wanted and appreciated. Like, that's, that's one, of, one of the things that it, uh, for a two. And Christina is very good at holding me accountable for taking days off. Not as that I actually do it all the time, but she's very good at reminding me when I don't. When I hear her say that, I don't... I, in the past, I had never heard it from a loving, caring standpoint. Thought she was nagging you. Right. It, it came off as more of a, you're just nagging, you're just complaining, blah, 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 blah. And I read this, you know, we're doing the Enneagram thing, and I'm like, you know, if you just change your, you know, a little bit of inflection difference here, a word change here, that makes it as though, listen, like, I, I love you and I care about you, and I'm, you know, you're, you're, you, need, you need to take a day off. Like, you, that comes off so much differently. I go, oh, man. She loves me. She cares. She wants what's best for me. And not Imagine that, I, that. And not that I believe that she didn't before, but the presentation of it is not how I received it. And, and I think there's value in that because oftentimes in, in any relationship, not just a marriage, but in, especially in a marriage, where your intentions are one thing, but the way it comes out or the way you communicate it isn't necessarily heard in the best fashion. Um, I think the Enneagram does a really good job at helping. Ken, if you're aware, um, can do a really good job of kind of helping people go, oh, if I communicate that same message, in a, if I come at the same message from a different angle, I will get a different response. Um, and I mean, that's... There's a lot of truth to that. I mean, Nathan kind of, Nathan had a couple of different ways that he, look at me tying things back. There um, you go. Woohoo, gold star for me. Um, can I give myself a gold? I just gave myself a gold star. So, I mean, Nathan does a really good job of presenting something to David in a way that lets David hear it. For a lot of people, like if he just would have went to David and said, hey, rapist, David probably wouldn't have responded very well. 
No, probably okay. not. Right. There was another, I watched another, I don't know, maybe it was, a, I didn't watch, it was a podcast. And the lady was talking about, they were talking about racism. And you know, she was telling the story about her uncle, who is you know, a very caring and loving guy. And she's like, he's literally the type of person that would run into a, bil- a burning building if someone was in there and wouldn't ask questions about gender, sexuality, race, socioeconomic status, nothing. He would, he would, without hesitation, run into the burning building. She also knows him to be the guy who, I, I think in this case, this story, was complaining incessantly about immigration and immigrants and you know, completely demeaning and just really bashing the humanity of immigrants. So rather than calling him a racist, you know, she approached the, con- the conversation and said, you know, Uncle, and this is not the right name, but hey, Uncle Harry, you know, man, I know that you are a deep man of faith and you are a loving, caring person, you know, blah, blah, you know, sort of affirming, you know, who she believes him to be and saying, I don't, can you explain to me why you feel this way about immigrants based on how I know you to be as this loving and caring person who, rather than saying, hey, racist. Like, again, she's calling him out, but she's doing it in a different way. And right. you know, that's something else that's kind of lost in our society, you know, on, on both sides of the, you know, we see it a lot in politics right now. You know, it's lost on both sides of the aisle that, you know, maybe we can be civil. Um, you know, we don't uh, miss- you win political points by being bombastic. and. I, I, well, unfortunately, yeah. you're right today. So yeah. it's interesting. So I gave the invocation at the chamber breakfast this morning. And I started to really work into my prayers at the chamber breakfast, um, fighting back against division and, and you know, kind of promoting unity and, and, and things like that. But the interesting thing, like, you know, I had someone that was like, oh, man, that was a, you know, gave me the, you know, the touch the heart. Man, that was, that was a good prayer. Like, I, I felt that. That was good. And then, like, two minutes later wasn't quite two, but it wasn't many minutes later, is, is saying things that are like really divisive. And I'm like, wow, what part of the prayer did you actually like? Right. Because you missed this part of it. And, and so it made, it made me take a step back and think, okay, so you know, how, how can we get at this division that, that exists. So how, how can we work through it? I, now, I don't have an answer. If I did, um, I'd be rich. Um, but I, I, I don't have an answer. But I, I, mean, I think it begins with, with you know, viewing people as, as, as humanity and not other. Viewing people as people. Right, and not viewing them as the other. We're really, it's really easy to other. It's really easy to other other people. Yeah. Um, you're not like me because of this. Therefore we're going to disagree and we can't we we can't be we can't be in the same circles and 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 I understand like I understand the 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 challenges of that so so for Bathsheba's people to you know do a all hail king david um that I believe would maybe be a slap in the face 
But does that mean that none of Bathsheba's people could even have a conversation with any of David's people? I mean, I, I don't know the answer. And one of the reasons I don't know the answer as I'm, as I'm kind of, I'm a verbal processor, so as I'm like talking through this, you know, maybe it's easier, it's harder for me to answer that question because I'm not, I'm not from an oppressed group. Right. Right. So you hear this a lot from the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, how can you say you love me and then vote for someone who wants to take away all my rights? That's valid. Now, does that mean that they can never talk? I, I, I don't, I, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't. I truly don't. And I'm, and I'm not the person to answer that question. I mean, you know, I, I, in the realm of so, somewhat oppressed groups, um, I experience quite frequently, sometimes frequently being hurt um, when friends are, you know, choosing to, let's say, go to a church that does not ordain women. And while it's fairly common, it's still a little kind of hurtful from the standpoint of, so this isn't important to you. Um, a, you know, a, a woman's ability and right to, to lead people. And so, yeah, I, I, kind, of, I kind of understand that. <clears throat> but anyway, so kind of the way I wrapped up everything, though, is, is recognizing that power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> um, and... You know, this, all this stuff that God didn't want happening winds up happening. And so when we refer to Jesus as king, I mean, we're making a particular statement. The issue is he rejected worldly kingdoms in terms of how he ruled. He's like, I'm not going to rule like that. And yeah. I think that's one of the things we really, really mess up yeah. because we try to make Jesus fit into our po politics in terms of... You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll see, you know, Jesus in sort of almost a militant type of format or something, you know, or he's coming with the sword and he's going to strike people down and he's going to, you know, do all this stuff and, um, because we decided to take literally some symbolism. Yep. But the reality is Jesus rejected all that when he had the chance. Yep. He, he, was, he was handed it on a silver platter and he said, no, this is not how I do things. And so, you know, um, I think that's something we need to remember is we are kingdom people living in a world where worldly kingdoms don't operate the way we think they should because humans are flawed and we screw things up. Yep. But does the possibility exist of us ever being better? That's kind of the question I have. Is there, is there ever that, that ability to have things transformed? Where yeah, chew on that for a week, people. Yeah. Or Think like, about that for yeah. next week. We're, we're doing King Solomon and Solomon's wisdom. So we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Bye, everybody.